0: Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together father we just thank you for the preeminence of your word and how you have given it such a great place in our lives we love your word lord we're grateful lord that it will accomplish every purpose it's sent to accomplish well we want that as the standard for our lives we don't ever want to stray the world is so far away from your word and and even sadly lord the professing christianity is drifting further and further away from keeping your word so help us lord to stay true to you and to your word we yield our hearts right now we ask that you would speak to us anything that you want to speak to us about we're here we're listening we're open speak to us lord use these verses to make us more like christ and we're grateful lord that your commitment to that is greater than ours We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today we're looking at the sixth church of the seven that we're looking at. Thoroughly enjoying ourselves thus far, going through these, looking at these different churches and looking at, more importantly, the Lord Jesus' assessment of these churches. And so we have one more to go, Laodicea, after today. And so today we're looking at this church called the Church of Philadelphia. Now, what we already have gone through when we've looked at each of these churches, we've looked that Jesus has made it very clear that he is walking in the midst of the seven churches. He's also made it clear that he holds the seven stars in his right hand, and those seven stars he's already interpreted for us as the seven angels of the seven churches, the head elders or the senior pastors, so to speak. That Jesus is communicating this to his angel who's communicating it to the head elders who are communicating it to the churches. There's a chain of custody there that's very specific that we saw lay, him lay out in chapter one. So he's communicating that there and he is letting us know as the church that he cares about what goes on in a church. And I think it's worth reminding us that the leaders are not free to just make the church whatever they want it to be, whatever their preferences are. It's not their church to build. The Lord Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So God has preferences. He has expectations. And Jesus reminds us, this is, this is supposed to produce sobriety in every child of God related to the church. Because Jesus sees what's going on corporately. He's walking these aisles. He's assessing what's going on. He's assessing how we treat one another, how we pray for one another, how we use our spiritual gifts to build up one another. He's assessing the teaching. Uh, He's assessing the the worship. He's assessing how open to the spirit we are. He's assessing how self-consumed we are or not related to when we come together. But also it breaks down and it trickles down even to our individual lives. He assesses our own lives. We're the church. See, the church isn't just when we come together. We're the church wherever we go. We bring the kingdom of God with us wherever we go. And just like the Lord Jesus would go into a situation and he would affect that situation, and it would be different than when he first came into that situation. He would leave having that situation changed. So, too, he wants to continue to do that through his church when we go into any particular context. We go into it, when we go into a particular context, we are bringing the kingdom of God with us. We're bringing the, the calling that we have with us. We're bringing our spiritual gifts with us. Ministry occurs in the child of God all the time. Not only are we all in the ministry, but we're engaging in ministry or be, should be available to at any given moment. Whether it be evangelism, whether it be engaging the rest of the body of Christ and being able to use our spiritual gifts at the store, at, in traffic. Mm-hmm. Swallow again in traffic. He's assessing our, you know, we see a Jesus fish on someone's car and, and you know, they cut us off. There's for, the ministry of reconciliation going on right there, of forgiveness and, 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 not, and bearing one another's burdens. There's all kinds of things going on anytime that we're around and exposed to other believers. But he, he's told us over and over again, I know your works. I know your works. He didn't just say it once. All of these letters he knew would be passed around to all the churches. That's why he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. He could have said, I know your works, just for the first church, knowing that all of those things would get passed around in those churches in Asia Minor, and they would all know that I'm, I'm looking at works. But he, he repeats it every single time to every single church. He knows our works. It's, it's, it's important to him. Church of Philadelphia was in a city that was named after a man that about one hundred and ninety BC loved his brother so much it was the king of Sardis that founded this city. He loved his brother so much it became it, it became known as the city of brotherly love because this king loved his brother so much. Phileo means love Delphi means city, city of brotherly love so that 's their reputation that 's what they were known for. It was likely planted by a result of the Apostle Paul's ministry in Ephesus for three years. We're not told exactly who planted it. Today, there's about, in the city, it's not named Philadelphia anymore, but the city that's there, it has about 25 churches. It has the most Christian representation or influence of any of these seven churches, the Church of Philadelphia there. 25 churches and populations about 20,000, about the size of Ripon, here And so, in that part of the world, especially, 25 churches is very significant. It's significant in any city, but especially in that part of the world. So, that's a little background. Now, he gets in the beginning of it in verse 7. He says, "...and to the angel of, of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says he who is holy, who is, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens." The first, this is the first time that there's this self-description by the Lord Jesus, which is not from chapter 1. With Thyatira, part of his self-description was not from chapter 1, where he said he's the Son of God. That wasn't a reference to chapter 1. It was unique. This, now his entire self-assessment, is unique. So that's interesting. And so he says, he who is holy. What does holiness mean? Holy means to be different in a godly way. He's, it means to be separate, separated. It means to be separate and different and so forth. And I think the ultimate definition of holiness, and there's all kinds of definitions for holiness out there, unfortunately. Some of them aren't very biblical. They're man-made. But the best definition of holiness is just the Lord Jesus. There's no greater definition. If you want to know what whole, a holy life looks like, you know, sometimes people are concerned. If I totally surrender my life to Christ, what's he going to turn me into? <laughs> you know? And we think about the weirdos or the people that just no one can relate to. They're, just, they're, they're, they're just, um, just strange. I mean, there's no other way to say it. And they're just, they're not appropriate. They're not loving. They're not biblical. They're just crazy in many ways. And I don't want to turn into one of those people. You don't have to worry about that. Jesus is going to turn you into uh, someone that's a a good representation of who he is because you'll be like him. He's the perfect definition of holiness. And he's working in our lives, each one of us, by his spirit to make us into uh, someone that that is uh, exuding his godly character. He also says, he who is true. And I love this. And you could pass over it really quickly. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is true truth. He is true. There's nothing false about him. He is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. Everything about him is true. He started so many of his teachings with, most assuredly I say to you, or I tell you the truth. Literally in the Greek, it's amen, amen. He would start his teachings or his sayings that way. He is true. We'll never get to go deep into the, you know, getting to know him and we'll discover something that's not true, something that's not uh, legitimate. It always, will always be uh, very much blessed by what we find in, in exploring who he is. And he says something interesting here. He says, he who has the key of David. What is that a reference to? Well, first of all, what is a key? Something that I lose. <laughs> no. Well, that may be true. But when you lose your keys, what have you lost? You've lost access to something. See, a key is an object of authority. It's an object of authority that gives me access to something. So what is the key of David? Now remember, these are Jewish believers. We've already gone over that. Of the 404 verses in Revelation, 278 of which are, are, are direct references from the Old Testament. So we need to go there to understand that. So hold your place here and turn back to the Old Testament, to Isaiah chapter 22. Isaiah chapter 22. Pretty long book. You should be able to find that. There's No condemnation in table of contents. We just need to say that for the record. No condemnation. You can even have the little tabs, you know, people joke and say they're Pharisee tabs, but they're not really Pharisee tabs. They're just, they're helpful tabs that help us find places in the Bible. So be encouraged if you have those. At this time, nation was the nation was corrupt and there was a corrupt treasurer called named shibna and he was overseeing the houses of david the treasury houses of david he was corrupt and again and he was using his the treasures and so forth and and that that were there to his benefit just like the whole nation was engaged in you know self-serving and so forth he was as well and so in this passage God calls another man, Eliakim, and he was a just man, he was a man of character, and he gave him the key to the house of David. And he says that you know, no man can shut what would be available to him and no man can open it and so forth. So let's read this, because these Jewish believers would be very familiar with this. Let's look at verse 19. Isaiah 22, verse 19. So I will drive out of your office out of your office, and from your position he will pull you down. Then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, I will clothe him with the with your robe, and strengthen him with your belt, I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder So he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. So when Jesus, through his angel, would reveal this encouragement to the church in Philadelphia, they would know exactly what he was talking about. And you can turn back to Revelation chapter 3. You see, Eliakim had access to the king's provision. And so he would become known as having access to those resources. And because he had access to those resources, he had all the provision that was needed to to accomplish what he was tasked to accomplish. And so now the Lord Jesus, in quoting this here with these Jewish believers, knowing exactly what this reference would be about, they knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying and reminding them that his authority, he has authority over access he has authority over ministry access. And he says, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Right there in, in the verse. So the same, basically the same verbiage that, that God used in the Old Testament to communicate this, uh, this servant's access and this authority. So Jesus has that same type of authority and having authority over ministry access. Now notice in verse 80 points them to one of these doors. He says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. So again, he says, I know your works. And I keep repeating it, but it's supposed to wash over us every single time we come across it. He knows our works. He knows what our character is about. He knows what, when people come in contact with us, if they're coming in contact with someone that's spirit-filled and walking in the fruit of the Spirit or walking in our own sinful nature, he knows that people come in contact with the, the fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh. He knows if we are giving our lives away and serving other believers or if we're, we're not in that place of influence yet. So I just want to keep repeating it. We have one more time in Laodicea. He'll say the same thing and I'll say it again. (laughs) Because he says it. Every, all scripture is given by inspiration. Every jot, every tittle, every, all of it has a purpose. And when God repeats things, there's a reason for it. So we're going to keep going over that. So he says, I know your works. He also says, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut. Talking about an opportunity. And then he says, for you have little strength. So that means that they're weak. That's, that's a characteristic that he identifies that they are weak he says have kept my word which means they're obeying the word of God they're holding God's word as the standard for their their lives and as the church corporately so they're they're holding that as the standard but also they are obeying it themselves they're obeying God's word they are known for obeying the word of God this is one of two churches where he doesn't have any correction for them and I I'm sure Pastor Joe Foch from Calvary Chapel uh, Philadelphia has tried to you know make some parallels, but you know he's not exactly this church. Of course, this was from another era, so you can't take credit for it. I won't let him. Uh, then he says, "Have not denied my name." Now this tells me there was an opportunity to deny his name, and we're going to read in a moment about persecution. So this tells me they were persecuted there, and when you're in the middle of persecution to that extent. What do they, the persecutors want you to do? They want you to deny, deny Christ. They'll say, we will stop all of this torture, all of this hardship, all of this mistreatment if you will just renounce Christ. And, and Jesus warned us against that. We have to affirm his name before men. And he will affirm us before his Father in heaven. If we deny him before men, he will deny us before his Father in heaven. Every believer in every age has known. No matter what happens, no matter how bad it gets, I cannot deny him. If, any, if you can take anything away from me in this life, you can't take away my walk with him. You can't take away my relationship with him. To live as Christ, to die as gain. And I will not deny his name. So there's some characteristics. But I want you to notice this very important word, at least in most translations. It says the word for there in the middle of verse 8. He says, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. And so some translations have because. Some of them don't put anything there. But there's a Greek word hati that's there that means because and i'm not sure why they leave him out but what jesus is saying is he's directly linking connecting the open door that he's revealed with these three characteristics not just two characteristics all three he's linking this open door opportunity with these three characteristics so he, in other words you could say it i have op- I, this way i have set before you an open door and no one can shut it because you have little a little strength have kept my word and have not denied my name, those three characteristics he assesses as good. So that's important for us to know. Do you have a little strength today? I've been going on fumes for a little while. I, it's, I'm tired. And it's okay. That's okay. That he says, do not grow weary in well doing and so forth. But, but as a church, we can get tired, as a, as a corporate family, we can get tired. And in individuals, we can get tired. And what he is saying is, because you have little strength, I'm going to bless you with an open door. You see, when we've, when we've gone through certain things, sometimes we bring God the most glory in that moment. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people go through horrific situations, difficult situations, and God, they don't understand. They're, they're, they're stumbled. Why would God open up all these ministry opportunities to me in the midst of my weakness? And they're stumbled. And God doesn't want us to be stumbled. He didn't want Philadelphia, the Church of Philadelphia to be stumbled. Because we think, well, surely God can't use me if I'm weak. Ministry opportunities don't open up for the weak. They open up for the strong. I need to get strong before I can be open to ministry opportunities. And when I get strong and when I get on my feet and I get everything situated just right, then I'll be more open to ministry opportunities. That's not what Jesus is saying. Perseverance blesses the Lord Jesus. And as we've been faithful and as we've been consistent, as we've been trying to serve him the best way that we can by his grace and by his power, he sees it and it blesses him. And so he says, I am not limited by your weakness. That doesn't limit me. Now notice the word see there in the verse. Some translations say behold. It's as if Jesus is saying, I've revealed something to you that you need to pay attention to. Look, see, this open door, it's right there before you. Look at this open door. I'm blessing you with this open door because of these three characteristics, at least in part. You need to pay attention to this open door. You've, you may, it's possible that they've not seen it or they haven't noticed it or they haven't recognized it as the open door that it is. And he's saying, I'm blessing you. Look at this open door that I'm opening up to you. But again, we can think, well, that's not going to happen for me because I'm weak. God isn't looking for weak things. Really? I have a, I have a, a verse for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things. I'll assume that you're just repeating what the verse is saying. You're not saying what I'm saying is weak here. So, weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty. We always quote the beginning part of that verse. We love to talk about he's chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the the wise. We don't finish that verse. That He chooses on purpose the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Think of the Apostle Paul. God had given him, because of the abundance of revelations, God had given him a thorn in the flesh. That was some type of physical infirmity. And look at what how the Lord used his life. He wasn't at a disadvantage. He was actually at an advantage because he was more dependent upon God. He was more waiting for God's power at any given moment to be used. I think of so many Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, those in recent church history. You could maybe be going through your, your mind right now thinking of some of those, that they had physical infirmities. That that they didn't understand. Why am I? Uh, why have you called me to do this? There's ten thousand other people that don't have this, and you're calling me to do it, and it's hard and it's difficult. And he says, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know that when I do a work through you, you're going that that I'm going to get the glory through your life. And and we so we just wait for everything just to perfectly line up, and and for us to be strong before we'll be open. And so much of the most powerful and potent ministry is accomplished by the Lord through our lives when we're suffering. He uses people that are suffering to get a lot done. Because then everybody gets to see that it couldn't have been them. We ever wonder why he chose those disciples? Yeah, the ones that were arguing with each other. The ones that were fighting about who's the greatest. What if you came in here on a Sunday and you heard the leaders fighting who was the greatest? How much do you think God would use those people or I mean that's just complete pure carnality. And he says I'm going to take insignificant men from insignificant backgrounds with insignificant number of them and I'm going to turn the world upside down because it, I will be seen. So we can't wait to be strong, we can't wait to have it all together and so often the most powerful ministry opportunities come when we're weak when we've already been faithful and we're weak, and God is saying, I want to bless you with ministry now. There's so many examples of that. Now, notice he says in verses 9 and 10, he promises their deliverance. He says, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. And to know that I have loved you, what is the synagogue of Satan? he's already referred to other persecutors in one of the, in another church as the synagogue of Satan, and he's saying these people claim to be Jews, but they're being used by Satan in in the church's involvement in the in the community there to persecute them, so they're not really Jews, they can claim to be Jews all they want they're not Jews, their synagogue is is being used by Satan himself. So he says, don't worry about those people. I will take care of those people. He says, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Not worshiping them, but I will discipline them and they will know that I am I am the Lord and I'm the one that is empowering you strengthening you that i am on your side that i have shown my faithfulness to you when i sustain you and 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 hold and uphold you through their persecution they're going to know my faithfulness being lived out in your life and that know that that's an expression of my love and he says in verse 10 because you have kept my command to to persevere it's, that's that's really clear right there that's really direct I mean, maybe we're not thinking of persevering as something that he commands, but he does. He commands us to persevere. So these people are weak. They've suffered persecution and also who knows what else. And, and he's commanded them to persevere and they have kept that command. They have obeyed that command. So maybe you're here today. You need to hear that God commands you to persevere that remember our lives are his we've been bought with a price we're not our own he owns us now when he redeemed us redeemed mean to be purchased we were purchased out of slavery to sin he owns us now so he's telling if just like you would tell any servant you need to persevere you're having a hard time doing the things that i've called you to do i want you to persevere and 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 work through it but of course, with us, it's to be dependent upon him and asking for his strength and so forth. So he says, that's a great thing. You persevered. You've obeyed me in persevering. He says, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world. So he's, this is speaking of the rapture. Now, he kept all those churches from that trial, but they didn't know that. But he's saying, I'm going to bless you with that. So every church throughout the church age was encouraged because the rapture has always been a doctrine that communicates uh, imminency. It could happen at any moment. There's nothing else that has to happen. A lot of things are going on with Israel right now. There's nothing that we're looking at in Israel like, "Whoa!" when that happens, the rapture can happen. Nothing. Nothing else that, that needs to happen. There are things that have to happen before The tribulation, the great, you know, the tribulation, the seven year tribulation and especially the great tribulation, the last three and a half years. And those things are starting to we're starting to see the signs of those things come together. And like Pastor Chuck used to say. When uh, he would see the, the, the Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving, he'd say, oh, Thanksgiving's coming. And she's like, why are you talking about his wife? Why are you talking about Thanksgiving? Well, we know if the signs of Christmas is coming, how much closer is Thanksgiving. It's the same way with the rapture. If we're seeing the things start to come together for his second coming and the great tribulation and the rapture is seven years before all that, how much closer are we to that? It's beautiful, it's a beautiful uh, promise there. Keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And then he closes with our rewards in verses eleven and twelve. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. What does that mean? Well, first of all, I'm coming quickly. Again, the imminency is communicated there. Behold means to consider, to carefully consider. So his expectation is that each one of us, and corporately as as a church, would carefully consider that he is coming quickly. He could come at any moment, and we are 2,000 years closer (laughs) to him coming than when this was written, and so that's that's a huge encouragement for us, but he says, hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. What is your crown? Your crown is your rewards. It's our rewards as believers. It's so funny that he rewards us how he does. He draws us to him. He he brings a preacher to preach the gospel. Convicts us by his spirit. Then he comes in and makes our dead spirit alive and we're regenerated and we're a new creation. Then he by his spirit and through his word and through his people brings us into maturity. And then he uses us and then at the end he rewards us for all of it. How can you beat that? I mean that is we talk about a gracious God. He's just he's just trying to find an excuse to bless Isn't that what any loving father does? Trying to find a reason to bless. You know that too much is going to spoil them, and that's what every child doesn't understand. I remember when I told my kids that the first time. Do you realize that I want to bless you every single day, every single moment? I want you to be completely blessed, and I would give you so much more if I even if I had even more money, I'd give you even more than that. But it wouldn't be good for you. So you don't have to. And it really started with me with the ice cream man. Because I didn't want them coming to me every time they heard that guy ring that bell. The ice cream man didn't like me growing up. Because I got on the back of his truck. And he didn't know it. And I got rides around the neighborhood. But that's a whole nother thing. He didn't like me for sure. But I didn't want to be bugged every time they hear that bell ringing. Dad, Dad, can I have an ice cream? Every single day. Like set my watch by it. Forget, you know, uh, you know, setting my watch to the time lady back when we had one you know when you used to call popcorn on the phone and be able to get the time i could set my watch by the the ice cream man coming you know so i just trained them don't ask i want to bless you more i want you to have ice cream more than you want it so you just you just use self-control and every time like the max that you can have ice cream you will have ice cream based on my heart and my love for you not because you want ice cream and so it was hard in the beginning but after a while because the, the thing would ring, and they would be like, "You know, stiffen up, okay, I can't ask, can't ask, can't ask, and they'd be all weird, and after a while, they got used to it, you know and then and then they saw that i wouldn't forget, and the, and then they were at total peace with it. Isn't that a great picture of the Christian life? We have God that wants to bless us so badly every possible time he can Bless us with something, he wants to do it. And so, seeing our trials and seeing the opportunity that we have to be used by him in the context of weakness is an expression of his blessing towards us. And the Christian maturity learns that and knows that. So, he says, Let no one take your crown. He wants to bless us, he wants to give us a crown, even though we have nothing to do with anything of that. And we're told in, in, that we're going to cast our crowns before him. Because we'll know, obviously, just like we know now, but even more so then, we'll know that it's as a result of him. So we'll we'll express our crowns as worship, but he says, let no one take your crown. Who's going to take my crown? Who's going to take my crown? Who's going to allow that? Me. I have control over that because I can stop how he wants to use me related to getting more rewards through obedience and service and so forth. So he says, remember this big open door. See it? It's right there before you. It's something that you can see, this open door, this open door, you know, of ministry. Go through that door. Go through it. Don't worry about it closing. It's not going to close. If you don't go through this door, then you're going to lose out on some reward. And he doesn't want that for us. Like any father wouldn't want their children to lose out on reward and blessing. Verse 12, he overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, in, in uh, Philadelphia, one of the ways that they would show honor to somebody, if they did something really great or they gave money to the city or they wanted to show honor, they had a, a, a building, they had many buildings actually, but they had a main building where they would build a pillar, which wasn't structural. It wouldn't hold up anything. It was just a pillar and they'd have their name on it. And it would be something of honor. So they would have a, a reference point for this so he says, he who overcomes, I will make him, not just your name on a pillar, (laughs) I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. We will be a trophy of his grace in the new Jerusalem. And he says, and he shall go out no more. Can't pass over that. There's not going, we're not going to be going out of God's presence. When we're in that new Jerusalem, we're going to be with his presence. We're not going to be going out in that sense of, being hindered from worshiping him and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem which comes down notice the word down down out of heaven we're going to see that when we get to that at the end of the book the new Jerusalem descending it's a big cube and I can't wait to go through that I'm so excited for that already and I will write on him my new name so three names here the name of God, the name of the city of of New, new Jerusalem, and a right on him my new name, the Lord Jesus' new name. Wow. See, look at the ownership. When you own something, I remember in school, back when we had lunch pails. You know you had them. You know you had them. And I had them, and I would break them, and break the thermos, and trade the thermos. I mean, it was just... Endless drama going on. But when you have something that you don't want to lose and you you have something that you want to make sure everyone knows that is yours, you write your name on it. This is God saying, I want to be so intimate with you. And because you are, are, are going to be an overcomer in the sense of being true to me all the way to the end and finishing well, I'm going to put my ownership on you in that way. He doesn't have to do that. No one's going to be wondering in the New Jerusalem, who do you belong to? There's not going to be anyone else to whom we can belong, but it's a designation of love towards us that we can be have everybody see that we 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 are His, and that our home is the New Jerusalem. You can't argue with me. I got the name of it written on me. (laughs) You, You know, it's my it's my new home. So it's a beautiful promise. See, that's how God's heart is. He he encourages us. He gives us instruction. He encourages where the end leads whether it be a life of disobedience or a life of obedience. He's always honest with us and tell us the end, and we need to to hear it. Now look at here, he says in verse 13, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, he says it every time. He knows they have physical ears. He's saying he who has a spiritual ear. And we're called to spiritually discern. And we can spiritually discern because we have a relationship with him. Because the unbeliever can't do that. They can't discern spiritual things. They can't receive spiritual things. But we can. So he can encourage us in so many different ways that we have to hear what the spirit is saying to us. It's not just a man that communicates. It's his spirit that communicates. And his word communicating. So I want to encourage you today. Maybe you're not weak right now, but you will be. Maybe you, you feel like I'm really strong right now. There'll come a time when you're weak. Jesus said in this life, you will face tribulation, not might, will face tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And so you are not, if you're, and if you're weak here today, you are not disqualified from fruitful, abundant ministry because you're weak if you're struggling and you're like, I just, I can't see how God can do it. He hasn't, he isn't, it isn't dependent upon how you can see how he can do it. So he's placed before us an open door. Every one of our personal lives and, and as a church, he's set before us an open door precisely because in part that we're weak and he wants to get glory from our lives. And so whatever... You, if you already know, you already see that door specifically for you, and you're worried that it's going to shut. If that door is truly of him, and he's calling you to go through that door, there's nothing in this world, there's nothing outside of this world that can close that door. I remember praying about starting the church in here. And there was so much confirmation that needed to happen, not, didn't need to happen, he was gracious to give it, so you go, you go through the first open door. Let's just say there's a corridor of 50 doors. And there's just it's a long hallway, and it's just doorway, 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 doorway. You go through the first two, three, four doors, and they're like, okay, this is good. I'm still going. But the more doors you go through, the more confidence you have that the rest of them, no matter how many there are, are going to stay open. And so he, so he gives us these opportunities. He puts this opportunity before us, and he says, don't worry about that door shutting while you're trying to go through it. Don't worry about the enemy coming in and shutting it. Don't worry about anything getting in the way. No man can shut that door if I've opened that door. And if you don't go through it, you're going to lose your reward. A certain part of your reward. not saying all your reward. But you're going to lose whatever reward you would get from that ministry opportunity. And if there's a a door that's shut, I mean, all of us have done it. You go up to the door... You're yanking on that thing with all your might trying to get that thing open. You want that door open. You want it. You want it. You want it. There's nothing in you that wants it. I mean, you, more than, I mean, you just have to get that door open. And you're counting on other people maybe that are stronger than you to open that door. It won't open because he's not going to open it. That's the beauty of what he does. Is that he says, opportunities, I have authority over those things. And I rule over those things. You can trust me. I want to bless that you have little strength. It's basically saying it's a miracle that you have any strength at all. That's what he's saying to this church. It's a miracle you have any strength at all based on what you've gone through. You've kept my word. You haven't denied my name. I want to bless you with more ministry. God never blesses us to the point where we have less and less and less and less and less less ministry. That's not blessing. It goes the other way. He blesses us more and more and more with more ministry. Ministry is true uh, riches. So, I don't know how the Holy Spirit will apply this to each one of our hearts, but I know he's so good at doing it, so I'm just going to let that rest on our hearts. Amen? Let's pray together.